Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details. Nice. G'day and welcome to Not A Knife, the show that is all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This is proudly part of the Ozcast Network, home of shows like School of Hard Knock Knocks and The Bad Cast, highly recommended shows on that network. This podcast is proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to their elders both past, present and future. On this particular episode, it's a bit of a, a an oldish uh, rundown here. I'm going to be running through what was screened at the Revelation Film Festival. Now, the Revelation Film Festival occurred in the beginning of July, ran for two weeks in Perth, ended on the 18th of July. It was a stunning festival. However, I meant to have an episode up sooner, but laryngitis and you know, a whole bunch of other issues uh, occurred and stopped me from getting an episode up. But that doesn't mean that I can't talk about the great films that are out there because there was a lot of really great films that screened at the Revelation Film Festival this year. And they are getting screenings at different festivals around Australia. Most notably, my favourite film of the festival was Strange Colours. It is a film by a fantastic director, Alina Lodkina, and who... I managed to do an interview with which you'll hear in just a moment she is a great great director and i really can't wait to see what she does uh, heading forward in australia with her work because i think that strange colors is a really profound piece of work and and just a a stunning stunning film really really fantastic uh, i highly recommend seeing it it's an easy five star film there is a review which i've written up on the website and now, I'll go into a little bit more detail uh, during the uh, interview with Elena, and hopefully you get a lot from this interview as well. After the interview, I'll be running down my favorite films of the festival and shouting out a few recommendations of films that I think that you should really, really seek out before the year is out, uh, because there is a lot of them. And I'll also be shouting out some of the short films that were shown too, because there's some really, really great short films that really display some of the great Australian talent and international talent too uh, that can shine with short films. I think we tend to forget short films as a as an art form because you know they're not shown on Netflix all that much. They're not shown in the cinema, and they kind of fall between the cracks. And they're the uh, you know for for want of a better term, especially given today's news about the Oscars, who are going to be rewarding the most popular film, but then also relegating some of the smaller categories to the ad breaks. And I think that the short films are probably those categories that will get relegated to the ad breaks. People tend to forget that. Great filmmakers started off with short films. Taika Waititi is an Oscar nominee uh, because of his short film work. Um, you know, there there are actors who are Oscar winners because of you know one of the the Doctor Who guys. Uh, his name is currently escaping me for some reason. Um, he is an Oscar winner simply because of his short films. You know that kind of thing. Um, 
that basketballer guy, here I am doing such a great service to short films, basketballer guy at the beginning of the year, he won an Oscar for making his short films. Kobe Bryant, that's who he is. Uh, see, I'm not completely useless. But, you know, short films don't get enough attention, so I'll hopefully give a little bit of a shine on to them near the end of this episode. And then I also want to shout out one of my favorite songs of the year that I've been listening to a lot. It's by a band named Moaning Lisa. And they have a song which is called Carrie, I Want a Girl. And it's one of the best songs I've heard this year. And I just want to shout out to them. Uh, Hopefully I've got more songs coming. Um, But I love this song a lot. Anyhow, that's enough of me banging on about stuff because I'm going to be talking a lot more later on. Let's have a listen to the trailer for Strange Colors and then we'll be back with the interview with the director, Alina Lodkina. My fucked up father calls me, tells me he's dying. Here I am. You're not just bouncing around the country like a tennis ball, eh? Anyone in there? Passing through. On the road to nowhere. You want to come for a spin? So luck, really. Some people have it. Some people don't. Meeting soon to own an hour or whatever to go to a party. Yeah, well, that's exciting. And Strange Colors is showing there, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Cool. Well, that's really. Sorry, cool. and you saw it in Perth. I did. Yeah, yeah, and. I was so stressed out as well because I nearly missed the screening. I couldn't find my ticket and I was running oh, late and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to miss it. This is, you know, this is a film I've been really looking forward to and it was the last chance that I had to get to see it as well because I, I saw a bunch of films at the Revelation oh. Film Festival and this was my favourite. I I was so glad that I did get to see it. Cause I oh, wow. I didn't read anything about it. I just, I was like, I just get my tickets in advance and I'm like, that looks good. It's Australian. I'll watch it, and yeah. uh, <laughs> I was I was uh, shocked. Thank you so much. That's so touching. Yeah, I this and so um so good to know people support you know Australian film just for anthem you know because it looks interesting. Yeah, well, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge huge champion of Australian cinema. I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my passions, and so mm-hmm. I'll watch anything that's Australian, uh, good or mm-hmm. bad. It doesn't matter. But um, this is this is certainly mm-hmm. one of the best films I've seen this year, and 
I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, but I, I genuinely think it's a great film. So uh, <laughs> whoever gets to watch it at, at MIF is going to have a great time. And are, are you doing Q&A sessions as well there? Or? Thank you. Yeah. Yes, 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 I cool. will be, yep. Well, that's good. Well, I guess... That's fantastic. No, thank you so much. I Actually, I read your review as well, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I don't know. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't be looking up reviews no, no. not healthy but you know it's so nice to hear and I think you know it's such a um, kind of sensitive uh, response to the film it really meant a lot to me because it was like oh there's a lot of stuff that I was int- you know intending to come across and you kind of picked up on it and well, really I, rewarding when that happens yeah I mean I don't know. I've, I've read a few different reviews that have compared your work to other films, more like European filmmakers and stuff like that. Um, but the comparison that mm. I came up with was um, certainly uh, not European, but Kelly Reichardt, who you know is an American filmmaker and does a lot of really subtle kind of films and yeah. patient things. And you know, her film from a couple of years ago, Certain Women, I think is a really beautiful film. Certainly one of my favourite mm. films of recent years. Yeah. And I felt this was a great kind of companion mm. piece and alongside to that kind of story that explores mm. women mm. in a masculine world. And, and yeah, I, I loved it. And I've, mm. I haven't stopped thinking about it. You know, there's so much to take away from this film that mm. I just adored. So I was going to send the review through because I was like, oh, you know, I, <laughs> I want to show that I absolutely loved it. But I'm also, sometimes I'm a little bit nervous about sending things through to filmmakers because I'm like, what if they, they disagree yeah. with what I've thought and, and what if I've, I've misread something in the sure. film? But yeah, I, I think it's great. Um, cool. So I want to talk to you about wonderful. Yeah, and I think I, I think I'm 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 flattered by the Kelly Riker <laughs> comparison. I'm a huge fan of certain women myself, and also, um, you know, I actually watched Wendy and Lucy. Yeah. In in pre-production, I think at one point, and I, I thought it was quite. Oh, it was it's very inspirational. I, I really love her cinema. Yeah, her her films are just really great, and I wish that more people would see them and seek them out because, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. great to see you know, women filmmakers finally, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in cinema around the world, but they're finally getting mm. representation and, you know, respect absolutely, that they deserve. Yeah. So I guess starting yeah, off, absolutely. Um, how did you come up with this story? And and where did you find uh, such great actors as well? Well, um, I guess the, two, the answers to those questions feed into one another. Uh, because, as you might um, have read somewhere, yeah, the, this Change Colours kind of came out of a documentary mm. project. Yeah. Um, so it very much came out uh, out of the interest in the community, the open mining community of Lightning Ridge. Um, I, I just heard about it a number of years ago by chance, and uh, the description of the place really stuck with me, like the opal fever and... Um, these sort of crazy characters who end up in this um, isolated place and they try their luck digging out these tiny precious stones in the ground. I thought that was so um, strange and interesting and kind of melancholic and I, I had all these ideas about it. And, and then I just went and checked it out and visually it was really stunning, the place, and, well, you know, striking. Yeah. And um, I thought so cinematic and then another people... And they were um, just 
really <laughs> unusual and interesting and also um, generous and intelligent and mm. have you know came from all walks of life and I just felt like um, I, I guess I, I was lucky enough to fall in with a group, group of people quite, quite an inspiring group of men mainly and um, and they spent you know they, they were really generous with showing me around and letting me show them things just in a documentary sort of way and then over the years as I kind of got to know them more and more and I got to know the history of the place um, I realized, well, and it, it's almost something that I knew from the start, that it was so cinematic um, that it really lent itself to fiction. And I thought, um, you know, it sort of justified a much larger project of a larger scale. And I think that's mainly because the, <laughs> the people and the certain themes of the place evoked felt to me like more than just a story or, you know, a one-off sort of um, um, episode or reenactment. It felt like it, it consistently evoke, evoked these larger existential themes mm. of what it means to escape um, contemporary society and people living on the fringes and these sort of dreamers who are seeking a certain idea of freedom and at what price. Um, there's so many juxtapositions and contradictions as well and because I couldn't figure it out because it wasn't so straightforward as just like, oh, listen to this crazy story. Um, you know, it was, it was, there was something so deep about the stories I was constantly hearing mm. um, that I felt like, yeah, it warranted a kind of uh, melancholic, dreamy, exploration uh, and I think that's what Strange Colors was very much motivated by. Well, I think you achieved it um, really yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you did. And, you know, I think one, one of the things which I mentioned in my review is that, you know, it feels like a subversion of what Australian outback life or rural life is like because so often, you know, in, in cinema and TV in Australia, we we see the rural life as being super tough super hard and then it breeds these aggressive mm. cruel people and mm. it's not all like that you know anybody yeah. who's driven through outback australia or rural australia knows that they're very genuine warm people that live out there and i think you capture that mm -hmm. really well uh and you know as certainly as a yeah. showcasing um slice of australia you've you've added to the conversation in a really great way so thank you for that i appreciate it as a film lover that's, that's really great to hear. <laughs> yeah, means what to me. And definitely I was so conscious of not going down towards or using stereotypes uh, from already existing narratives. I kind of wanted to look at the things I was seeing mm. um, and portray them in a, way, in a way that felt truthful to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and there's, I think people are so complex. Yeah, oh, they definitely are. They're really complex, which is where you've got two great performances. Mm. Well, three, actually. Three great performances. Uh, Daniel mm. Jones, uh, Justin Corton, and Kate Cheel, who I think is mm. just they're mm. fantastic. So Daniel's worked before. Mm. He, he was in a film called Hail, which is uh, one that I haven't seen yet. I'm going mm. to watch it soon. The other two actors I have never seen mm. before. How do you find these people? 
Yeah, so um, so they um, those three main roles. Um, they were actors that we uh, auditioned. We we held castings for, mm-hmm. um, and the rest of the characters in the film were from the place. Um, people playing themselves from Lightning Ridge and or versions of themselves. Um, even though I have to correct what I just said because Daniel Jones, um, I knew I'd known him and I'd known of his work. I'd seen him in Hale, uh, and more than that, I had um, interned or worked as an intern for the director of Hale, Emil Gordon Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd actually, uh, like, I kind of did a bunch of stuff over the years and edited one of his, uh, like, glass feature film. Um, and so I'd known Danny through Emil. Um, but I didn't, when we were writing the script, it was very much inspired, like, I just, myself and my co-writer Isaac Wall um, had writing reach people in mind. So we kind of created this character of the father as inspired by a combination of various people. Uh, but we knew it was such a hard role. It really required someone who would, you know, be have a motivation in portraying character and being really acting. Um, so we then I think the producer Kate Laurie suggested Danny one day and she was like, you know, Danny would really fit into that world. And as soon as she, she said it, it was just uh, really clear that he was, nobody else could really do it. Like he was just the, the man for the job. Mm. Um, because not only does he have extraordinary um, emotional uh, range as a performer, and he's so charismatic and, you know, he really holds the camera. Uh, but he's also, he's been around the country. Um, he doesn't, it's so hard casting when you're working, when you've got a bunch of people locked in who are non-professional actors, who are people from the area, who are going to be so authentic and they're going to know, you know, the way that we kind of wrote the script was almost written for certain characters. Um, we knew that bringing in just anyone could be could create a real disturbance uh, but Danny was yeah he was like one of those guys and um, you know he wasn't like a city bloke who trained in NIDA like he had a, a colorful life himself and um, had lived in remote places and understood the kind of people that go there or mm. you know wind up um, in a place like that and same goes for Justin so Justin just came into he read uh, about the auditions on Facebook and he just came in and I was so taken by his gaze. You know, he has such a loaded gaze that really translates on screen um, but without really having to say very much, just said everything about the the character Um, and then we kind of rehearsed with him a number of times and then just realized that he was by far the most, like he just kind of encapsulated uh, yeah, aspects of Frank that we've written about, but also kind of elevated the character into a whole new territory. Mm. And um, I think brought so much to the character. And yeah, he'd never acted in a feature film before, um, so it was really, <laughs> really fun, challenging process for both of us. I think. Yeah, was it? Um, had he done stage work before, or? Still, Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. He's just, he's like a, yeah, no, 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 yeah. He's not, um, sorry, um, he's not, um, 
he's not yeah he hasn't done any he hasn't had an experience on um he's never been on screen before wow. Wow. um well he's, he's but he got has a certain him, presence. you know he, he he's yeah. kind of got the, <laughs> he's got such a presence he's yeah. got such a presence and um Kate Shield, finally. Yeah, just again, she was one last. I was really struggling to cast for that role. I had a really specific idea of who I wanted for the character, and she sent in a tape. And yeah, again, like from the first line, she just had such poise and grace on screen, and I, I think something of um, like old Hollywood presence. There's something kind of very magical about her. But I, or about what she brings to the character um, that I really loved. And I think that, um, you know, the story kind of has this... Uh, it's not particularly maybe specific to, to any particular time. Um, and I think, you know, the character always has the same kind of costume throughout. I think it's kind of, it was kind of an intentional feeling of, like, a fable or mm. a tale <laughs> about it. And I think her character was probably the most challenging out of anyone, any of the guys, because she was completely coming in from the outside and she had to be the glue that connects the story or the, the guide that takes you into the world um, with so many complicated emotions of her own. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how she did it, but, <laughs> yeah, she definitely did. Well, she, she manages to internalise a lot of the her narrative, but then shows everything that is going yeah. on in her mind through her emotions, you know, it's just mm. a really, really powerful performance. And, and I was left in awe at the end of it. Yeah. I think, I think she's just stunning in this film. And I really, really look forward to seeing what she does next as well. Hopefully she's got a great career ahead of her because I think she's stunning. I, I, I think she's great. Yeah. Um, one of the other aspects, which, too, yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. <laughs> one of the other aspects which I'm curious <laughs> about is the uh, cinematography. Now I don't know who did the cinematography, but I, I love mm-hmm. the cinematography in this film. It has urgency where it needs to, but it's really contemplative and, you know, just watches the the surroundings really well. So, who was the cinematographer, and and how did you go about working with them? Yeah, so the cinematographer is a chap called Michael Latham, um, L-A-T-H-A-M. And I've seen his work on a short film called Tausiru that um, was a Khan, like an Australian short film by uh, an Australian team that was screened at Khan a few years ago and so got... You know, it was, I kind of saw it in the, around the festival circuit. I, you know, I thought it was really beautiful. And then um, he's done. He's he's based in Melbourne, and so he's done kind of a lot of work on um, different short films and recently features. Um, he works with Kitty Green. I don't know oh, if you've yeah. heard of um, yeah. casting Jean Benet. And, yeah. But he shot casting Jean Benet and. Um, he did some cinematography for Ukraine. It's not a brothel as well. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's he's collaborated with quite a few female directors as well, which was quite, um, but you know, a bonus point in my book. <laughs> of course, I, I appreciated that. Mm. Um, and he's recent a film that he was just shooting at the time when we started shooting Strange Colors, um, the Island of Hungry Ghosts. 
a screening at MIF as well. Okay, sure. This year, uh, documentary, another documentary. Uh, that looks really fantastic. I look forward to seeing it. Um, so, yeah, again, we contacted Michael because we won funding through the Venice Binali College. It was quite a quick process crewing up and, and casting, actually, um, because basically, like, we... We got told in December, so we've like, gone through these rounds of development with this competitive program that's run out of Venice. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of develop a script through them. And then, yeah, we, we got told that um, there's like 12 teams that go through this initial round of sort of script work. And then um, they, based on your draft scripts, they pick three projects to go into funding. So we found that out in uh, December, November, and from that, it, we had to shoot April next year. So we kind of had like, wow. you know, five months to crew and uh, do rewrites on the script and cast. So everything was kind of happening. You know, we had to make quick decisions. And um, as soon as I met Michael, I just was really, you know, we kind of hit it off. And he's really a frank, honest, um, hardworking person who's also very inspired and then on set like we just we, we spent a lot of time in production talking about um, films we liked or films that were relevant and we looked at old westerns and um, actually I think we did look at um, some of Kelly Reichardt's films and um, yeah like American sort of um, two-lane blacktop and kind mm. of semi like minimalist kind of meditative exploration, but also um, films by um, Abbas Kirasami um, as, like, kind of reference points for um, both, like, filming in vast spaces um, and also working with um, diverse casts. Um, and we were just on the same page, and then we the shooting process was so crazy um, that we there's a lot of trust on set and... Um, I, I I think yeah, it was really uh, working with Michael was a really fun process uh, because there was so there's complete symbiosis between um, I guess our creative visions and and we ended up you know by the time the film wrapped up like we were speaking complete completely the same language mm. um, but he you know it was a really hard shoot for him because we were working on scarce resources and the uh, ambition was quite uh, bigger, yes, in terms of like aesthetic. Um, you know, I, I'm really um, inspired by visually driven, or yeah, visually um, engaging uh, kind of focused yeah. films with a yeah, you know, with a style of their own, and um, yeah, I, I guess we worked hard to reach that point. Well, I think you achieved um, it. Yeah, also, uh, the other great... Yeah, the, the one last thing to say about Michael is... Oh, no, no, yeah. He is really... Um, sorry, I just want to say that he's really good at... Um, he's very involved in lighting. Um, he's very hands-on with lighting as a cinematographer. And we, we have a very small crew, so you kind of have to be as well. Um, but he... We didn't have great resources, so we're often working with a generator... Um, and he had to be very intuitive in how he used sound, sound light, light sources and house lights and power lights and 
um, reflectors and things like that um, to create quite intricate, yeah, intimate env- environments often. So I think, yeah, it's a big, massive achievement. Yeah. And yeah. testament to his craft. Yeah. I, I mean, there are so many other questions which I, I want to ask you about this, but I, I know time's limited. Mm. But mm. I'm curious what you learned from having done documentary, now a feature film. What's the difference between the two and, and where next for you as a filmmaker as well? Um, I think that, of course, uh, there's obvious differences in running a sort of more organized set, committed set, where you have a little bit more control um, and you can shoot for those, you know, eight, eight to ten hours a day you kind of know what you're doing every day um, as opposed to and, and having you know I guess uh, having a shoot that was a little you know somewhat funded um, even though you know it wasn't a massive budget but it was funded it gave me for, for one a lot more freedom to feel like I could push people push my cast push myself um, and I guess yeah on a short film where you're not able to pay people very much or in a documentary it's there's a lot of kind of ethical and yeah. moral um, anxieties about just how much you can do um, yeah that that definitely is I'm not the kind of person who can just do that so that yeah it gives me a lot of anxiety so that, having a bit of funding definitely took that anxiety away um, so I felt like I could experiment more um, but in apart from that you know there's I think that the process shouldn't well for me shouldn't be that far removed like it's still any set I think it still should be about um, getting to know people listening to people um, listening you know I think <laughs> I think that it's sort of a Stereotype the director just tells everyone what to do, but actually I think the director um, needs to be a really good listener and be very attuned to their environment and the people that they're working with. Um, so I kind of hope that that philosophy or that approach I, I'm able to take with me to any set. I'm not really into the idea of working on a set with, like, you know, dozens and dozens of people whose names you don't know. Um, I think it's really nice when your crew is small and you kind of all know what everybody's doing and you can help each other out. Um, you create and that shorthand in some that ways. That is, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that can create an environment as well that enables you to have uh, more intimate exploration in your narrative as well, like when you're working with actors. Um, yeah, so I hope, you know, in many ways, I hope that things don't change too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always between, balance between being able to have that, um, doing things your own way and, uh, have that, um, organize the set the way you like it, but also have enough resources to feel. Mm. <laughs> to feel sort of free to do to do things you want to do as well. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, and I guess every filmmaker in every filmmaker in Australia or any other country is figuring that out. 
yeah um constantly so so what's what's next for you do you have a, another film in in the production that you you aim to do um yeah well i've got a couple of um definitely have a couple of um uh, projects in development uh, but one i'm working on uh focusing on at the moment is called petrol and it's I can't say too much about it because it's really early stages of development and the story keeps changing. But it centers around uh, a, a, a young woman from uh, the country who moves to Melbourne and um, forms a friendship with this sort of um, artist, another woman who's an artist, performance artist. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, it's set in Melbourne now. Um, and yeah, I guess kind of a personal, more of a personal film for me. Hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to be working on on the script. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see when it happens. I I really am because your <laughs> your first film is is fantastic, and I'm I'm excited to see where you go from here. Um, so the last question, which is a question which I ask everybody that comes on, because I like talking to filmmakers about their films, but I also like hearing what films filmmakers enjoy and because we're uh, talking about Australian cinema I'm curious about if there's a particular Australian film that has inspired you or that you really enjoy a lot that you recommend people seeking out hmm. well of course uh, everyone should see Hail because <laughs> it really is a really exceptional film and Danny's performance is astonishing in, in that um so anyone who's a fan of Danny's from Strange Colors should follow up and see Hegel if they haven't seen it already. And other films that I think is, um, you know, obviously I love, um, you know, Picnic and Hanging Rock and Wake and Fright and the kind of big classics. But I feel like that um, I don't hear much about that I really do think is so beautiful uh, and really, really inspiring for me is um, Wrong Side of the Road uh, by... A uh, director called Ned Lander. Don't know if he actually made another feature film, uh, but it follows. He follows. It's kind of a very impressionistic film from the eighties. Can't remember what year exactly. Uh, and he follows a um, Aboriginal band from Adelaide called No Fixed Address. Oh, and right. a lot of the um, the boats from No Fixed Address. I mean, they really, they really are a great band as well. They still. They're still kicking about, actually. I think they did a show in Melbourne last year. But um, they, um, they, a lot of the guys from it play themselves. And there's another band. There's two bands in it. It's really, it's really fun. It's a really fun road movie, um, band road movie. But it's also, um, you know, kind of in in a really, um, um. Yeah, it, it exposes a lot of the uh, racism, uh, Australian kind of attitudes at the time. Um, yeah, in, in a way that's really moving. Yeah, I haven't I, seen and that. It's just a good <laughs> film. Yeah, I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, I added to um, my yeah, list a, 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 a yeah, yeah, it's such a good film. Yeah, if you're into Australian cinema, it's a real gem. Lovely. Well, I look forward to seeing it. And Alina, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it because this is, as I thank you. I'm saying, it's one of my favourite films of the year. And I hope that the MIF screenings go well, and and you know everybody loves it. Oh, film. thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you so Not much. I'm really, I'm so touched. Thank you.
That's okay. Thank you very much. Lovely. All right. All right. You have a lovely Thank evening you. as well. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 You too. And thanks for making time for doing. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was director Lena Lodkina talking about her film Strange Colors, which is, you know, if you already didn't gather from my uh, my effusive love of the film as I talked to her then, um, I absolutely love this film. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, I'm glad that I managed to see it, and it is not a film that has easily left my mind. I've thought about it pretty much every single day since I've seen it, and I love it. Uh, Kate Shield is absolutely brilliant in this film. Uh, I think that she is going to be a great Australian talent, just like Alina is. Uh, Justin Corton is also really brilliant, especially for a guy who has not done any acting at all. I think he's stunning in this film, and he embodies a brilliance that kind of reminds me of an earlier Damien Hill, who is an actor who hasn't really been around that long, but he has certainly made an impact with films like Porno and West of Sunshine. So Justin Corton is kind of embodying that same presence that Damien Hill does. Again, I absolutely love this film. I think it's fantastic. And it was my my pick of the festival for uh, Revelation Film Festival and, and an ex- unexpected brilliant film that, you know, I only saw it because of an Australian film. I didn't read anything about it before I saw it and I wandered on in and, and caught it and fell in love. And I think that's the benefit of film festivals like Revelation Film Festival. And... You know, certainly one of the things that I've been thinking about in the past few days as we're having more film festivals getting announced, uh, New York Film Festival, I think, has been announced, and uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival, Sydney Underground Film Festival have all had announcements, the Adelaide Film Festival is coming up with announcements, and the Nightingale is going to be screening there, which is very exciting, I'm very, very excited for that. But why am I excited for something, for a film festival I'm not even going to get to see? Like, I'm not going to be able to go to Adelaide to watch The Nightingale. I'm not even going to be able to go to Melbourne International Film Festival, which is on right now. Sydney Underground Film Festival I can't go to. Certainly can't go to the international ones, New York and Toronto and all those kinds of film festivals. So what is it about them that we get excited about them, you know? a lot of these films we may never ever get to see and i know that with a fair few films that have been screened at revelation you know certainly in the past there are films that have never been released again Uh, all things ablaze i continue talking about this film it's one of my favorite films of the past few years it's a film about the riots in the ukraine powerful powerful film has never been released outside of that festival i haven't seen any kind of publicity for it and it's a really, really interesting film. Uh, Paths of the Soul is another film which I thought was really fantastic. And there were a couple of films that were at this year's festival, uh, Revelation Film Festival, that has made me a little bit excited because I'm hoping they might get a little bit of a wider audience. And if not, I'm just grateful that I was able to spend this time with them. And that's what I love about Revelation. That's what I love about Perth is that, you know, there are festivals like Revelation, which screen films like Censored, which is a film that is about the Australian film industry and and how we censored films in the 50s and 60s and 70s and and what the, the particular footage was censored for. Really, really fascinating film, really great documentary that looks at why we censor films. 
maybe this footage should have been censored. Uh, what does it say about the content that we were watching at the time? Another unexpected film that I absolutely loved. So I'm glad that that film exists and I'm hopeful that it kind of breaches wider audiences uh, in some regards. I don't know if it will. I don't know if it's screening anywhere else and maybe this is the only chance that it had. But yeah, I, I don't know. For the film lovers out there who listen to this show, can you tell me why you get excited about seeing film festival lineups? What excites you about reading what films are going to be screening at a film festival, even though that you know that you're not going to be able to get there? What, what excites you about them? Is it just knowing that there's new films coming up and maybe along this line uh, you've got some exciting talent to seek out? I know for me, what I enjoy about film festivals is that outside of the main festival, outside of the main commercial releases, not festival releases, sorry, outside of the main commercial releases or the theatrical releases, a lot of these films don't get releases. So jotting down what interesting works come out of these festivals and what interests you out of these festivals is a good way of keeping your film diet varied. Because a lot of the times there are some great films that come out of these festivals. You'll read a few reviews from your trusted reviewers and you're like, this is fantastic. And you just add onto a list of films to keep an eye out for. Maybe you have to import the DVD from somewhere. Maybe you have to wait for it to appear on some obscure streaming service or on-demand service or something like that. And if that's the case, then you are going to have to do a little bit of extra work to watch those films. But so be it. That's the that's you know the 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 value of loving strange cinema or, or obscure cinema is that sometimes you have to do a little bit of extra work to go and watch these films and no that doesn't always mean having to fly to Adelaide or Melbourne or Perth to watch these kinds of films but it does mean that you know in your little notebook or in the back of your mind you go okay this documentary called a woman captured i'm going to make sure that i seek this out eventually because that sounds like a really interesting film and for me woman captured is also one of the the most powerful films that i saw at the festival uh, i think that is a a really 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 deeply moving piece of work uh, it's directed by bernadette tuzarita and it is about this woman, Marish, who is a slave and she's a domestic slave. She has been for 10 years and Bernadette is given access to her life to document her and document what she's going through as a domestic slave. It is not easy watching, especially because you as a viewer start to wonder, is Bernadette complicit in Marish's uh, suffering in her being a captive person, a slave, because for Bernadette to actually be able to make this documentary, she had to pay the person who keeps Marish as a slave money to allow her to be in there and to film. So essentially the money that Marish could use is being used to keep her as a prisoner. And that's a really difficult thing to watch. But as Marish says at a certain point through the film, her story needs to be told because there are a lot of people who are still slaves in society today. And this is, you know, a lot of Eastern European areas where there is poverty, extreme poverty, and people 
get dragged into slavery in a lot of different ways. And it may not be the American slavery that we know of the past, um, but it is still slavery. And that's a really, really terrifying thing. So, you know, that's what I love about these kinds of film festivals is that you put a film like A Woman Captured on the list and you're like, that's a fantastic film. I must seek it out. It sounds really interesting, especially for documentaries that push the boundaries a little bit. And that's where a film like Cannibal comes in, where, you know, the boundaries are really, really pushed hard in this particular documentary. It's by Verena Paravel and Lucien Castaing-Taylor, who previously did the documentary Leviathan, which was all about a fishing boat. Really, really interesting documentary that shot in a fascinating way. Cannaba is shot in a fascinating way as well, where this particular person, Issei Sagawa, who is a cannibal, uh, his story is told and his life is told, but the camera is in such an intimate, disturbing, uh, you, you're never allowed to get comfortable with him. And that's a good thing. You're never allowed to feel like this is just a person telling his story. You're always aware of his physical being and who he is as a person and his story and how he talks with his brother and about what he did and and why he was a cannibal and things like that is is really unsettling in one particular sequence that goes on for about five minutes Sagawa is fed a piece of chocolate by a woman and he sucks on the piece of chocolate and he eats the piece of chocolate and you hear all the sounds you watch his mouth you see his ecstasy as he eats the chocolate you see his joy as he swallows the chocolate and he thinks about the chocolate and he, he ruminates on the taste of the chocolate in his mouth. And because of what we've witnessed and what we've heard him talk about, your mind can't help but go to thinking about him eating his victim. And that's frightening. It really is. And I like unsettling films like that. It makes you think. It makes you think a lot. So Cannibal is certainly one of the films that really made me go, okay, this is what cinema can do. I'm impressed. I, I, I am impressed by what filmmakers are able to do with the format. Another really great film, which is wonderful to see in a cinema, and it's, it's hard to define. This is directed by Helene Catet and Bruno Forzani, and it is Let the Corpses Tan. And it's, uh, look, it's a mix of about literally everything. It's like a... Russ Meyer film with Sergio Leone with uh, cocaine with a whole bunch of vibrancy and color it is its own it can't be pigeonholed it, it really can't it almost actually can't be compared it is a vibrant intense extreme sexually driven violent film full of stunning visuals and editing that will leave you astounded the the editing is so meticulous in this particular film that you just can't help but applaud i i want to see the storyboards for this film because there is so much going on it is a visual feast and an, an audio feast as well it, it is a really really great film there is no plot really as such uh it's about these these guys who steal some some gold they go to this Mediterranean town, hold up and shack up there while some police come along, a shootout occurs and a whole bunch of other stuff occurs as well. It's great. 
It really is. Uh, it won't leave your mind for a very long time. Another film that might leave your mind for a little bit because it's a very subtle film and it's a very gentle film, almost too gentle, but it's a beautiful film nonetheless. And that's Deborah Granick's latest, which is Leave No Trace. Now, Deborah Granick brought Jennifer Lawrence to the world with Winter's Bone, which was uh Jennifer Lawrence's first Oscar nomination was nominated for Best Picture. That's a very gentle film, but it has some very harsh moments in it. Leave No Trace is a gentle film about Will and his daughter, Tom, who's played by Thomas and Harcourt McKenzie, who is a really great revelation in this film. Will is played by Ben Foster. Uh, They live in the wild. They live in the wild in America and where Captain Fantastic had a kind of a very optimistic hippie-ish vibe to it about living in off the land and stuff like that. Leave No Trace kind of takes that concept a little bit more realistically. And this is, as I was saying, it's almost too gentle because the performances are really beautiful, but you're never left uh, feeling kind of uh, in fear for for Will and Tom. You always feel that you're in safe hands and you always feel that they are safe and their relationship together is going to be fine. You know, which which is good, you know, but I, I would have liked a little bit of more drama, a little bit more tension, but I am impressed by it though. I thought it was a really, really good film, a really nice film. And it's nice to see Deborah Granick out there making films like this again because she's... She's a great presence. She really is. I, I am looking forward to seeing more of what she does. Um, another film as well is Skate Kitchen, which I absolutely love. I think it's a really fantastic film. It is a film about the skate group, Skate Kitchen, which is based in New York. And it's directed by Crystal Moselle, who previously did the documentary The, Walk, the Wolf Pack, which is also based in New York. I love this film a lot. It kind of surprised me because it came out of nowhere. I just kind of scheduled it in as a film that would fill the time. And there is a vibrancy and a wonderful essence to Skate Kitchen that I absolutely love. And what I wrote about in my review of Skate Kitchen was that it felt like it was a film that feels like it's reclaiming New York. Reclaiming New York from Woody Allen. You know, the, the kind of... When you look at New York and you think of Manhattan, it's all drenched in black and white with Gershwin. And that kind of old perspective of New York has lingered around for a little bit too long. And Skate Kitchen, alongside a few other films that are about New York, um, in particular Francis Ha or Love is Strange or Nasty Baby, all of those films showcase aspects of New York that feel genuine and feel real. Now, Manhattan, I don't know if Manhattan felt real to the 70s New York or not. Maybe Taxi Driver was more uh, applicable to 70s New York, or maybe The Warriors was. I'm not sure. I wasn't around then. But I've been to New York in the era of Francis Ha, the era of uh, Love is Strange, the era of Nasty Baby, and the era of Skate Kitchen, and I've seen what it's like. And I see that it is like Crystal Moselle has presented here in this film. And it feels like a reclamation. It feels like a saying of this is the society of New York. There are, you know, LGBTIQ women out there, uh, you know, and and men out there in New York who are telling their own stories and, and pushing down gender stereotypes. And in this particular film, they're pushing down the gender stereotypes of 
male skateboarders and you know what it means to be a male skateboarder and stuff like that and saying hey you know what women can skateboard too and fucking hell they can do it pretty darn well it's impressive it's great seek this film out i i highly recommend it i also highly recommend seeking out the rider as well which you know you i hope that if you've been paying attention to film discussion this year um that you know the rider is a film that is already on your list but it's a beautiful film. It is a really, really gentle, lovely film. And not gentle in the way that uh, Leave No Trace was. This is a different kind of gentle. And it's directed by Chloe Zhao, who I don't think has done anything before. Um, I'm not too sure. But it, it focuses on a group of, of writers, a family of, you know, rodeo writers, of people who live with the land, who live with horses. And the, the central performance is by Brady Jandro, and he plays essentially himself. And his family plays themselves as well. His sister is in the film. His father is in the film. This is a very personal film. And it's about Brady after he's had an injury, and a pretty major injury. He's split open his skull. He has to have a metal plate uh, on his on his skull, so he can't be a rodeo rider anymore. And this film looks at what it means to have something that you live for, to have your life force taken away from you, and what it means to be able to try and reconnect with that life-encouraging thing in such a way that you can't do it, but you really want to. And it's a really beautiful film, wonderfully shot by Joshua James Richards. It's it's just lovely. So try and seek out the writer if you can. You won't regret it. And, you know, the other couple of films which I think are really worth seeking out as well, uh, You Were Never Really Here, which is a great film. Uh, you'll hear a lot about that film already. I won't talk too much about it. Great performance by Joaquin Phoenix. It's short. It's only 90 minutes long. And it's a perfect companion film to the HBO series Barry, which I absolutely love. It's probably my favorite TV series of the most recent years. I think it's great. Terra Nullius as well. You've heard me talk about that quite a bit already. I love that film. It's brilliant. It's a great, great film. Highly recommend seeing uh, when you can, if you can. Um, but finally, the documentary The Cleaners, which is directed by Moritz Riesewick and Hans Block, is a film that is about an office in Manila and the people who deal with your Facebook reports, your Twitter reports, your Google reports to say this image is offensive, uh, it needs to be removed. And these people go through and they remove unsuitable material from the internet. And what I love about this documentary is it packs so much information into this this film and it explores a topic which we all deal with daily censorship in some regards and from a western perspective we understand that hey maybe this image shouldn't be on there maybe it should be and while we're fighting for you know free the nipple and things like that on instagram and facebook and all that kind of stuff which is a great cause it is there is the flip side of dealing with terror and war and countries where you know they only communicate through facebook and you know rohingya refugees are being persecuted because of things that have been spread on facebook and that's a main communication method so 
how do they deal with that? And this documentary doesn't answer a lot of questions in that regard. It simply presents what happens. And it presents a world that currently exists and asks you to look outside of your little bubble of your Western society and consider what's going on in the rest of the world. What, How social media is affecting countries that are, are stricken by war. And I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I, I was really moved by it and I really hope to see it again because there is so much information in it that I don't think the 88 minutes was enough for me to just sit there and, and digest it all. I really don't. I, I, but I thought it was great. I really did. Uh, and certainly if you can see the cleaners, do because it's a it's a really wonderful, wonderful film and an important film, one that we do need to see. So on to the short films, and I won't keep you much longer because I know this has already been a long episode like it already is. Uh, you know, I always try and keep these short, but I end up talking too long. Um, but short films, I want to quickly talk about those because there were a bunch that were really, really impressive. And I'll just run down what they were. So Glass Temples, which is a short film that was about, you know, it wasn't an easy film to watch uh, because it was a documentary that, that screened before A Woman Captured, which was also not an easy documentary to watch. But this is about the patriarchy and secrecy about Latter-day Saints Church and sexual abuse. And it's about a family who go to confront their father who sexually abused them and how they deal with that. And, you know, I, I found this a really challenging watch. It was, you know, especially as he sits there and uh, the father, when he is told from his kids what he did to them and his reaction is a bit like yeah whatever no big deal and his neighbor who uh you know really kind of comes in to swoop and help him at a certain point when you know he has just confessed to what he did on camera and his son calls up the police to say my father has just confessed to sexual assault can you come and arrest him and his neighbor comes in and basically stands there and is like, I'll help you through this, no problem. While his kids are sitting there having opened up their hearts about what he did to them. And it just, it's amazing how the church helps out these people. And I'm not saying everybody in the church does, but there are too many stories to deny that this is a problem about churches harboring people who have assaulted children or sexually assaulted children and it's it's terrifying it really is so glass temples was a really really great short film another great short film was one called moi m-w-a-h and you know if there's a, like girl asleep already proved that bethany bethany whitmore was going to be a great talent and She's done some really, really fantastic stuff on TV series in Australia as well. And while this short film goes for only seven minutes, it is one of the most chilling and terrifying short films that I've ever seen. And I really hope that it hits some kind of streaming service, YouTube, whatever, or maybe Revelation. I know they put their short films, some of their short films on demand. Um, but I thought this was a really, really powerful, powerful film that needs to be seen 
in today's day and age. It's about a young girl who is riding home at night and she pulls up to a, a tra set of traffic lights and a guy pulls up in a car next to her and kisses at her. She rides off, he follows. This film goes for seven minutes and it is tense every single second of it. Um, you know, I, I think this is an essential film. It really is. And it's amazing what can be done with the short film format as well because, you know, there is a lot to be gained from the short film format. And, you know, certainly, you know, you can't really stretch this particular story out into a feature length. It'll lose some of its impact. But in a short film format, it does a great, great job. The next short film is Open Water, The Offering, which is simply just a short film about a severed foot. Uh, floating into the water and what happens with this severed foot. Things grow in it. It gets a little bit disgusting. Uh, it gets a little bit icky. goes for about five minutes and it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, it is merely just a, you know, exercise in special effects, but it works really, really well. Um, and what happens to the foot is really interesting. Uh, I liked it a lot. Little Secret is uh, another short film which I thought was fantastic. It's probably the shortest of all the short films that I saw. It goes for literally two minutes. Um, and it's a short film that is literally just about a son coming out to his mum and his mum's reaction. It's beautiful. In today's society in Australia, I think this is really, really great. And I'm glad that this film exists. Another one is called Cherry, which is a short film about different dramatized uh, presentations about people losing their virginity. And it's directed from a woman's perspective and the stories all come from women's perspectives. And I love it. It's great. Uh, it, it, it challenges the notion, you know, the unfortunate notion of... Um, what your first time should be like, you know, it should be nice and gentle and sweet and all this kind of stuff. And this short film, which goes for about 10 minutes, covers it superbly. I, I really liked it a lot. Uh, another one, which I thought was great, was called uh, St. Bernie, which is about a young girl who is trying to discover her sexuality and her mother is extremely religious. And the central performance there is really great. And, you know, the tension between the daughter and the mother is fantastic as well. Uh, you certainly get a lot from this particular short film, quite a lot. And I really liked it. I, I thought it was fantastic. And I hope to see uh, this young actress quite a bit more because I think that she is fantastic. I'm just trying to look up her name as well. Um, I don't have a name, but I'll certainly seek it out after I've recorded this and I'll add it into the show notes. It's directed by Elise Tyson. Fantastic, really, really fantastic short film. Uh, also, another really fantastic short film, which is an Australian short film, is one called Eye Contact, which is about a world where the internet has been, essentially, it's been illegalized. You know, it's become a, a foreign concept. And what happens when somebody is addicted to the internet and the internet becomes a drug. So it's been outlawed and how you manage with that. Great, great, great short film uh, directed by Stuart Mannion. Fantastic. There are a lot more fantastic short films. I am going to write up a list of these short films because I think they deserve a shout out. And 
I absolutely love them. I think that Revelation does a great job of showcasing short films because one of the things that they do is that with their feature films, they put a short film before them. And they also have Get Your Shorts On and the experimental short screenings as well. But, you know, they always make you sit down to watch your feature film, but you're also going to get a short film with it. And you get a lot out of that. I think it's really fantastic. So there's a shout out to some of the Australian short films. I really enjoyed them a lot. And, you know, if they become available, I'll certainly uh, stick up a link on the Facebook page or on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on both of those, The Curb AU on Facebook and on Twitter. Alternatively, thecurb.com.au is the website. And if you have any questions or about the short films or uh, the festival in general, or certainly if you're a film lover and you want to tell me about what gets you excited about film festivals that you know that you can't attend, then shoot me an email at thecurbau at gmail.com. I want a Kim, I want a Courtney, I want a Florence, I want an Annie, I want a Sid, I want an Ellen, I want an Ellen and a Carrie. That's the opening to Moaning Lisa's song, Carrie, I Want a Girl, which is a song that I absolutely fucking love. I love, I love this song. When I do my end of year best songs list, this will probably be number one. Uh, there is so much to love about this song. Absolutely so much. It is a song about, well, let me tell you about Moaning Lisa first of all. So Moaning Lisa started in April 2016. And yes, I'm pulling this directly from their Facebook page, but I don't know much about them. But I do love this song. Moaning Lisa, a product of four Canberra-based music school grad dropouts who love making music together. They kind of take a cue from Wolf, Alice and the Pixies. Uh, and certainly there is a great, great, you know, vibe of the, the, the hard-hitting guitar that the Pixies have in their music. It's kind of grungy. It's kind of uh, fuzzed out alternative rock. And, you know, there is a, a beautiful LGBTIQ message in this particular song. Um, it's just about a girl who wants a girl. And I love it. You know, and, <laughs> you know, there is so much to appreciate about this song. Like, it's simple. The lyrics are very, very simple. You know, the lyrics are, I want a Kim, I want a Courtney, I want a Florence, I want an Annie, I want a Sid, I want an Ellen. I want an Ellen and a Carrie. I want a girl who's serious. I want a girl's an activist. I want a girl who eats cereal. I want a girl. I want a girl. Cut forward a bit more. I want a girl who doesn't use me. I want a girl who plays a tambourine. I want a girl who knows her sexuality. I want a girl. I want a girl. This isn't about, you know, this isn't a song from a guy singing about how, you know, this isn't Tal Backman, she's so fine. Not this is for great women making a fucking killer song that's about Carrie Brownstein, it's about Kim Deal, it's about Courtney Barnett, it's about Florence Welch, it's about Annie Clark, it's about Ellen Page, Ellen DeGeneres, and it's about Carrie Brownstein again. I love it. I love this song. I have had it on repeat endlessly. Uh, there is just so much to enjoy about it. So... Let's wrap up this episode. I've already given you the, the shout-outs where to find me, the curb everywhere. This has been Not a Knife. I really appreciate you listening. Check out Strange Colors if you get a chance. 
Tell me why you like film festivals. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, also one last thing. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the curb. Throw me a dollar. It really helps out keeping the site going. I really appreciate it. If you want to go the extra step as well, besides giving me your hard-earned money, uh, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcast and all the places that I am available, uh, that the Not A Knife is available. Or heck, just go over to the Facebook page of The Curve AU, hit share on there, get your friends to like the page. It's August at the moment, Australian Film Month. Um, still got a few weeks to go. Would be great if you hit that share button on that particular page and got some more people enjoying it as well. I love what I'm doing and I love everything that I I get the feedback from you guys and I really appreciate it. Uh, So, you know, thank you so much for being out there and listening to the shows. No, um, I just really appreciate it. It's fantastic. And I appreciate this song. This is just a segment of Carrie, I Want a Girl by Moaning Lisa. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for you guys to buy this song. It is $1.50 from their Bandcamp page. Go on, spare yourself uh, you know, $1.50 and pick up this song. You will love it as much as I do. See you've played knifey spoony before. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details.